what I learned about Michael Jordan to me set him apart and is, is, is the greatest inspiration because not only did he work hard, he came in early, he left late, he took extra free throws, but he worked harder at the mental game as well, both on the court and in business. Hi, welcome to the Halftime Snacks. My name is Ronena Inbinder. This show features the stories of talented people working in sports. Are you ready? Let's go. a man who's an absolute legend, a former bank and, and private equity expert who worked at Goldman, Citi, and EHF Capital, amongst others. Today, he's the CEO and commissioner of the American Ultimate Disc League, and he's also the co-owner of a team in the Disc League called Atlanta Hustle. The American Ultimate Disc League is the only professional ultimate sports league in North America, and they currently have 21 teams. I can't wait for this chat with him. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Steve Hall. <laughs> hey, Ronan, how are you? I'm doing very well. I'm excited for this conversation. How are you, Steve? I'm doing well. Thank you. The icebreaker for today's conversation is a very simple one. And I want to know what is your favorite beer to drink when you're watching a game from home? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, and uh, not because you are in Mexico City, Ronan, but actually Dos Equis is my favorite beer. Usually amber uh, if it's nighttime, but maybe something lighter if it's the middle of the day. Goes well with tacos. <laughs> That's, it's a great beer. I love it. You're right. You're right. It's a, it's a really good beer. I agree with you. My favorite beer to watch while I'm watching a game is also a Mexican beer, and it's called the Indio. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but I do recommend it. Uh, but I want to kick our conversation off to talk about you and some of your stories in banking, private equity. So what's the best thing about working there in private equity? I tell you, Ronan, uh, what excites me, and this probably has a little bit to do with, uh, you know, my studies back in university. I was an engineer. Um, and so I always loved to build things. As a little kid, I loved to, to build things. And when I learned about private equity, it's really about building companies, uh, whether it's small companies, medium-sized companies, or big companies. So uh, there's something very attractive to me uh, when I got to the world of, of banking and, and looking at private equity. So again, it's, it's not necessarily you know, building a rocket, as you think about from engineering, but it's building a company. And, and you're not just building alone. You're building with people who are very passionate about the business. Um, so... Uh, like the saying goes, it's it's not a job. If uh, if you're passionate about what you're doing, it's it's fun, and uh, so that's why I really get out of private equity. I love working with people who have the same passion. That's great, Steve. And I I'm wondering why, amongst all the sports that are out there, you decided to buy and own a team in Ultimate Frisbee. Can you share with us your motivation behind that? <laughs> sure. No, it's it's a great question. I. Uh, that, that question is probably not asked to too many people in the world. Um, well, you know, I, I back, I started playing Ultimates in 1985, uh, many, many years ago at university. 
And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I'm not that tall as five ten, And, and so it was a sport that I could pick up and play. I, I had, I had some quicks, so I was able to make some cuts and, and that pretty good hand eye coordination. Um, and so it was just a passion of mine. I played pretty casually as I focused on my career, but I played one competitive year in the mid nineties and I've always loved it. And so when I left New York and moved to Charlotte where I'm based now, I was playing with uh, some guys in the 40, in their forties as well. And uh, during practice one day, someone said, Hey, I heard about this pro ultimately. I said, no, nah, there's no way I've never heard of pro ultimate. They said, yeah. And they're, they're looking for people to be owners of teams. And so I fired off an email, didn't hear anything back. And, and two years later, at the end of 2014, all of a sudden, you know, up pops an email that says, hey, um, we saw that you were curious about uh, our teams. We'd like to talk to you because we're going to expand into the South in 2015. So I was like, wow, this is, you know, this is a dream come true. Um, you know, again, it's my chance to maybe build something, uh, put a little money into it. And it's, you know, it's a sport has been a passion of mine for 30 years. So, um, yeah, we learned about the, uh, the South Division of the American Ultimate Disc League and jumped into it, bought the, uh, bought the rights to the company, and um, you know, we've been off and running. I wonder how was the transition like from, you know, dealing with many deals and many private equity um, business deals and stuff that was happening there to out of a sudden you, you managing or owning and making decisions for the disc team. So can you share with us a little bit of your experience of the transition? Well, let me tell you, it, it was a it was a learning experience. And I, I think I'm still learning every single day. Uh, you know, building a company, especially as an engineer, I knew a lot about manufacturing companies, a little bit about service companies. I had never, ever thought about what it meant to own an entertainment company or a sports entertainment company. And, and we've learned a lot of the last, you know, uh, eight years, or I'm sorry, seven years uh, since 2014. Um, and it makes you appreciate what goes on with the, with the major uh, sports leagues. It's all about the fans. It's all about entertainment. And, and what, you've, what we have learned is it's not just about what's happening on the pitch. Um, you know, great athletes, great athletes make great plays and that's entertaining. But in today's world, it's completely different. Uh, you know, we spend half our time with our head either looking at our phone, uh, seeing what Instagram posts are going on, seeing what bets we've made, how's our fantasy team doing, or we might be watching someone throw, you know, free promotional items up to us in the stands. And in uh, the other half, maybe we catch the plays. And, and if you're really into the sport, maybe you're really breaking down how well the players are playing that day. So it's been a big change, um, something I've, I really have no background on. And so that's, that's been a great learning experience. It's been fun. It's been hard. Um, but again, I've got a lot of other owners around me who are passionate. And, and so it's, uh, I enjoy spending all my day doing it. So let's talk, let's talk about Ultimate as a game, as a sport. Why do you think Ultimate is, I mean, because I, I guess you have a vision of the game, of the sport. You have a vision because you own a team and you kind of see it going somewhere. So what is your vision with Ultimate moving forward? Why is it going to be exciting? Why is it going to be entertaining? Why is it not entertaining now or not entertaining enough? And what needs to happen in the next 10 years to be one of the you know, top leagues in the US? 
Yeah, Rona, that's that's a it's a great question. Uh, number one, ultimate can be, should be, and I want to see it be as big as soccer or football to most of the rest of the people in the world. Um, there is scale, um, and we can get to global scale just like soccer because it's a very low cost sport. If the comparisons are are tremendous, um, all you have is a is a disc. Cost of a disc is about ten U.S. dollars. You see many soccer balls that I have certainly bought for my youngest son, you know, it can be 30 or $50, depending on the ball. Um, and you, all you need is a pitch, right? Our pitches are uh, about the same size as a soccer pitch. And, and the game can be played, you know, 3v3, 5v5. Uh, our game is played 7v7. So it's got that flexibility. Um, and so there's really no barriers. You can play with boots or no boots. Um, you know, we, we, we have a lot of fun. So I don't see any barriers sometime in my lifetime. Now that's, you know, that, that's obviously, a, that's, that's a big claim, but I really do believe it. Um, it's a game that can be played by men and women. Um, just, you know, one thing you mentioned, you know, we are one of actually, we are the only men's league in, the, in North America, but there are two uh, women's pro ultimate leagues in North America. I want to make sure I give them a shout out, uh, the premier ultimate league and the Western ultimate league. And they just started the last couple of years. So it's a sport also that can be played uh, by all genders, which is terrific. Uh, it's a fast paced game. So it's got a similarity to soccer, lots of cutting, lots of running. Um, what I like about our sport versus soccer is that we're actually a little bit higher scoring. Many of our games are, you know, 24 to 21, um, there's always the uh, the beauty of soccer where, you know, one nil game hangs in the balance to the very end. But uh, we also our games are usually pretty tight. You, you rarely see blowouts. So I think it has that that excitement um, and the length. You know, you look at today's media world, um, you know, soccer matches are about two hours. Ours are also about two hours. And that's really important for two reasons. One, the fans, you know, just in today's world. Uh, you know, we have a hard time watching a video that's more than a minute long, right? It's a, a ADD kind of world that we live in. But for the media partners out there, they want sporting matches that are two hours. You're seeing a lot of pushback for cricket, baseball, other sports that have been traditionally multiple hours or multiple days. Um, and so we are already by design right in the sweet spot for the media partners. So I think we check all the big boxes out there. So you know, I, I really don't see why we can't be as big as soccer. Um, and as you were kind of alluding to, um, you know, it is good entertainment. You know, we think we have great athletes on the pitch now, but we've got to do two things. One, as I mentioned, you know, we need to make it more exciting for the fans while they're in the stands. We hope that they look at the pitch. We hope that they appreciate our great athletes, but we need to bring more entertainment to them either you know, if there are kids running around that they have a good time, or if you're in your seat and you have your head and your phone, we need to bring more exciting statistics, video, uh, and games, whether it's a casual game or whether it's gambling, where, you know, you're making a bet on the game or you're making a prop bet on a player, we need to develop that. And so that's in the pipeline now. I'd also say the last thing is if we're really going to bring this game to the rest of the world, the players need to be more representative of our communities. There's too many people in our sport now. It's, it's heavily a Caucasian game 
we need to make this game, we need to bring this game to different communities, uh, brown, black, um, other communities out there right now. Um, once we do that, when we show them how exciting it can be, I think it'd be great. Um, it's embraced by a lot of people in Colombia, uh, Europe, um, and Asia. So the seeds are planted, but we need a game and have it really uh, expand. That's uh, very interesting, Steve. I want to touch deeper on the topics you were mentioning about including, um, you know, diversifying the type of people that play the game and, you know, inclusion, women and everything. So I want to know what are some of the things that you guys are uh, currently planning on doing or doing to support inclusion, diversification, quality and what can other leagues and teams or organizations from either that sport or other sports, what can they learn from what you guys are doing? It's, it's a great question. It's a long, difficult answer. Um, and we all need, I think, number one, we all need to be open-minded. We need to realize that just because somebody doesn't look like you, Um, they can have great ideas. They can be a great athlete. They can be a great friend. They can be a great fan. So I hope the world is, is more engaging, uh, is more open-minded in the future. Um, and so one of the things, you know, in terms of women, uh, the women uh, came up with their idea for their professional platform a couple of years ago. Uh, myself and the chairman were on the strategic advisory committee for the Premier Ultimate League, the first of the pro women's leagues in North America. And we said, listen, you know, you need to decide what is best for you. Uh, you know, don't just copy and paste what we've done. Decide what you want and we'll be here to support. Um, the other one, Western Ultimate League, we're also, you know, speak to them and, and offer our support. So that's that's at a very base. Um, and there are other pro leagues in the rest of the world. There's a mixed league in Australia is one example. Um, so that's on the, on the women's side or the non-male side. In terms of you know racial and cultural diversity, um, you know we can't expect new communities to come to us. Uh, some of the trainers that we worked with a couple of years ago said, if you want more people to be included in your sport and play your sport, you need to bring the sport to them. Don't expect them to come to you, which was great advice. So um, the first thing we've done is to just make sure that we're being very open-minded We created the AUDL Inclusion Initiative back in July 2019. Obviously, there's been you know, a lot of racial discord over the last year or two, a lot of police brutality issues. Um, so we've really tried to look inward first. Um, we've partnered with a company or institution called RISE. It's a Ross Initiative in Sports for Equality. They work with uh, several of the, uh, the major sports leagues out there, and they, they've You know, number one, they're our strategic advisor, strategic counsel on, on um, uh, racial uh, topics. And uh, they've been great to work with us to make us first look inward. Um, you know, it's difficult if, to engage somebody if you're not open-minded. So they've really done a good job of asking us hard questions, make us, making us look inward, challenging the biases that we all have as humans. And we're doing it at the owner level, the coach level, and we'll soon be having these same sessions with our players. And once we do that, then we're going to spend more time being active and outreach to the external community, talking to them, seeing what's going on, understanding what's important to them, and how the AUDL uh, can be a positive role model in working with our community. 
Um, the last thing that uh, we have kind of on the docket for this year is a combine. And, and that's really focused on diversifying our, our talent pool, our athletes. Um, you know, we think there's a, there's an, obviously a lot of athletes in high school and university who don't make it to uh, the major pro leagues, whether it's the football, baseball, basketball, hockey, but these are great athletes. They're, they're fast. They can jump high. They have great hand-eye coordination. And those are really the three characteristics that we look at for ultimate players. So we're creating the first ever combine. Uh, we're going to have it in Atlanta uh, on Saturday, April the 17th. And so we're going to bring our sport to them. Uh, we're going to have three events. And they're going to be uh, events that they're, they're used to seeing. It's a 40-yard dash. It's a vertical leap. And then what we call a an extended shuttle run, something a little bit more like ultimate. Uh, it's got a couple of cuts, hard cuts, and it's going to have a long run. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to allow them to show their aerobics and their cutting ability. Uh, so I'm excited. It's the first time we've ever done this. Uh, we're bringing it to new communities. We're putting the word out to those communities and we're excited to, uh, to really open up the pipeline for the first time. I like that, Steve. And now that you were telling me this, It also uh, made me realize that the value of young players for a league is, is one that you cannot look away from because you, you, if, if you're thinking about sport now, that's okay. But in five, 10 or 15 years, the players that are playing right now may not be able to play later. So having youth academies, scouting combines, Um, potentially also schools or academies that train athletes to, you know, those th three things that you mentioned to then be able to just join the league. Then you have like a automatic feeding system of players that generates new and up and coming talent every X amount of years or every, every single year. And I think that's also important to consider in, in terms of like, how can you include uh, the youth in the sport while yours also diversify, create uh, equal opportunities for, how can you include the younger generations to the sport to create this, you know, system in which it will generate talent on and on. Yeah. We've, we've been studying the, uh, the academies, as you said, um, I'm a big Man City fan. And so we've been studying like, My son's a Barcelona fan. So we, we look at the EPL, we look at La Liga and the academies that they've created. And that's, you know, back to soccer. I think soccer really is the business model that we look at. We would like to have academies over time. You know, we're working on an idea for an extended clinic and camp concept. Um, you know, our sport is great. Like soccer, it, it has low concussion rates. So as more and more parents are concerned about concussions, we're a great sport for that. Um, And, and we believe, you know, again, that you can, at the age of six or seven, um, you know, throw and catch a disc. They make them out of foam, out of soft plastic. Um, so there, again, there's no barrier there. But one of the things, as I mentioned, you know, we're trying to be more inclusive. So uh, we're trying to also have our games broadcast in Spanish is just one example. Uh, we're probably going to have a handful of games broadcast in Spanish this year. Um, You know, we've, there's a great uh, following of the sport in Colombia. And 
Uh, so we, we think there's a lot of Spanish speaking people out in the world that would love this game. Uh, and we're focusing on, on some of the big countries. India is one we're also focused on. And, and again, we think uh, once we get the word out of about the sport and we start to support the youth, then the academies will follow. And then, like you said, then you've got a great pipeline of people who are passionate about the sport and whether they become a pro athlete, they have the passion for the sport and therefore they become a fan. And that's really what, that's really what drives the economics of the business. Yeah, that's a fantastic answer, Steve. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I want to switch over now to talk about tech in terms of like, how do you guys consider tech in your, in your plans? Uh, what is the role that technology is playing in the evolution and growth of the AUDL? So share with us your thoughts around that. Sure. Well, I think, yeah, the two things we're spending uh, the most time on this year, clearly health and safety is number one. Uh, we've got to make sure our players are, are safe. Um, and we're actually using technology, more technology to, to trace, you know, who's got vaccines, how well they're feeling. Um, so that's the one part of technology that's first and foremost. But in terms of the fans, um, I'd say, you know, that's really where technology comes into play. And, and we want to uh, create more content. And I split content into two worlds, video. And we've always had very good video content. <clears throat> Um, but we can do even a better job. <clears throat> the biggest thing is getting statistics from the game. We, like every other sport, we track the, the game statistics, wins, losses, points scored, defense, assists, things like that. But what's really, really exciting, both for fan entertainment and for the gaming and gambling world, are the statistics, the data that you gather from players. And from, in our case, it's not the ball, but it's the disc. So we are focused uh, quite a bit on player wearables. You've seen that in soccer um, where the players will have a vest and they actually have a tracking device that goes between their shoulder blades. It's a GPS enabled device. And so it shows how far they run, how fast. Uh, these devices have accelerometers on them. Uh, sometimes it can show how high they jump, which is clearly important to us. Um, and some of these devices will also capture biometrics like heart rate, perspiration rate, so we're going to capture a lot more data on our players this year. And then we're also working on ideas to, to gather more data from the disc itself. So that's, you know, it's interesting, but when you start to put all of this together, you get some exciting things from it. Again, more opportunities for gaming and gambling, which is very popular around the world. Um, it also lets us uh, go after things like video games. Uh, we're one of the few sports where we're actually creating our own console-based video game. Um, I don't know of many other sports, of any other sports who've actually done this. It's usually a video game, you know, uh, maker who says, hey, sport, I would love to make a video game. Hey, how about we cut a deal on royalties or, or licensing agreement? We're actually, we have our own subsidiary that focuses on technology uh, called UltiX. And, and so we're actually creating the video game ourselves. And so that control is, is exciting for us. Um, you know, a lot more visibility for our players. I think it's going to be something that's super exciting to that younger generation that we were just talking about, uh, where, you know, if you need to be 21 in the States to, to make a bet, but if you're 14, you can play casual games, you can play the video game. And, and we want those fans, while they're in the stands, to, to see all this exciting stuff going on. Or if you're in your home and you're watching a game, um, you're starting to see that now, where if as you're watching the screen, um, 
it's really the the screen that focuses on the field on the pitch is actually shrinking. And what you see at the bottom are the banners showing all the scores for the day. The left hand banner is showing all the bets. You know, um, Atlanta, and then some really exciting technology where you actually can follow a certain player, and that uh, the player's statistics can actually be flashed onto a screen. So. There are so many exciting things going out there, great companies that we can partner with. I, I think that 2021 is going to be a huge leaping point for us where you're going to see this technology come to life. It's going to come to life on your screen, on your big screen. It's going to come to life on your on your smaller screen, your mobile phone. And uh, we, uh, we are so excited about 2021. And then we're going to have some even bigger launches for 2022. What is it about statistics that everyone loves? I love statistics, you know, following how many points my favorite players have scored or the ratios or the percentages. Yeah. What, what do you think is about statistics that just pulls us so much into engaging with the game and what, what's happening? Yeah, well, I think it, it, I think it, tells, it tells the underlying story, right? And you and I can watch you know, a soccer match and we can say, well, yeah, that player played well, or, you know, uh, I think that player did okay. But when you start to see the numbers behind, it's really um, the story behind the screen, right? Uh, the What we typically see are the, the, the players who score, right? We could all tell you how many goals Messi has, but again, as a Man City fan, you know, how much uh, props does John Stones get playing great defense? Maybe if he heads away a couple of corner kicks, um, you know, people, he's recognized for that. But I think some of the information that we can pull from the numbers um, that we haven't been able to in the past, it tells another story, right? In sports, it's all about storytelling. Um, you know, we're talking about Michael Jordan earlier, and I, I love the special that was done on Michael Jordan. It was, it was the story behind what went on, and that information – really brought to life Michael Jordan and made him even bigger than he already is. And, and so I think those statistics tell a bigger story and we all get excited to hear another story. I love that answer, Steve. I love it. Um, my last question for you, Steve, is a bit more personal, but I want to know who's your biggest sports inspiration and why. <clears throat> wow, that's a great question. Um, you know, I'd probably say, well, maybe a little background will be helpful. Um, you know, you mentioned I worked at Goldman Sachs. I remember my one of my interviews at Goldman Sachs. Uh, the gentleman said, Steve, there are two kinds of people that make it to the top here. The ones that outsmart and the ones that outwork. Which one are you? And I was smart enough to know that I was not the smartest person in the room. Um, I also know that I'm a very hard worker. So I, I answered honestly. I said, I'm, I'm going to be that guy who outworks everybody else. I'll get in again the office before everybody. I'll be the last one to leave. I think that just that work ethic has always been near and dear to my heart. It's been something uh, that's important to my family. And so you know, originally I thought of Jerry Rice, the, 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 the star receiver for the uh, San Francisco 49ers. But I tell you, Ronan, uh, back to Michael Jordan. I, I always said Jerry Rice was my answer until speaking of that, the, the session on Michael Jordan. What I learned about Michael Jordan, to me, set him apart and is, is, is the greatest inspiration because not only did he work hard, he came in early, he left late, he took extra free throws, but he worked harder at the mental game as well, both on the court and in business. Uh, what was fascinating is he would find some reason 
to get himself fired up. I mean, there's some great stories that were told that um, someone didn't say something properly to him in a restaurant when he was passing by that got him fired up for the game. And so he found ways, little ways to motivate himself, not just physically, but mentally. And in business, he thought about, and the team thought about who he wanted to have around him. So it was not only the physical game where he outworked, but it was the mental game where he also outworked everybody. To me, that was really special. I think, you know, I really hold him up as a, uh, as, as a great role model to not only uh, to what we do in Ultimate, but, you know, to, to all the kids out there, um, you know, they need to do a lot of reading. They need to do a lot of watching of Michael Jordan. And I think really get behind the scenes. And uh, I think they'll really be impressed. That's a great answer, Steve. I want to thank you so much for your time and your insights on the Halftime Snacks. I'm so excited to see what's going to happen with Ultimate Disc League and Atlanta Hustle. I'm so excited. Now I'm a big fan of Atlanta Hustle after this conversation. Uh, so I hope they win the championship and I'll be following and rooting for you and the league uh, for the rest of my life. And I can't wait to bring you back to the podcast in a few years time and talk about the success that you guys are having. So thanks once again, Steve, for coming to the Halftime Snack. Before you leave, I want to thank you for listening. To hear this or any other Halftime Snack, check out the full archive on my website, which you can find on the show notes. See you next week.